We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church. I cannot think of a better, I can't think of a better song in words than that to introduce this scripture this morning. What was that line, Nancy, uh, the theme of the stories I've heard for so long? I want, I want us to remember that line. Um, and I want us to remember that line this morning particularly. So let's stand together and read this passage of scripture. It is 2 Chronicles 6, 1 through 11. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. While the whole assembly of Israel was standing there, the king turned around and blessed them. Then he said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his hands has fulfilled what he promised with his mouth to my father David. For he said, since the day I brought my people out of Egypt, I have not chosen a city in any tribe of Israel to have a temple built so that my name might be there, nor have I chosen anyone to be ruler over my people Israel. But now I have chosen Jerusalem for my name to be there, and I have chosen David to rule my people, Israel. My father David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, you did well to have it in your heart to build a temple for my name. Nevertheless, you are not the one to build the temple, but your son, your own flesh and blood, he is the one who will build the temple for my name. The Lord has kept the promise he made. I have succeeded David, my father, and now I sit on the throne of Israel, just as the Lord promised, and I have built the temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. There I have placed the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with the people of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks be to God indeed. Every action, every action of your life has been a reaction against or an acceptance of the things your family taught you. That's one of those statements that some people will want to pick apart, but whatever, I, I don't care. All I know is that you and I have been built by the generations that have come before us. And it would make sense then to go back and study those foundations for clues to who we are right now. The Bible talks a whole lot about identity, specifically about identity with Christ, a new identity. But if you've never spent time understanding the identity your family has given you, how will you know what a new identity means? It's not just midlifers who wrestle with such things. And by the way, 
You know you're getting on in years when you look back with nostalgia on a midlife crisis. <laughs> and if you ask Aaron, I, I've, you know, I'm getting near three quarters of a century now, if you ask Aaron. So that was a long time ago for me, if you ask Aaron. But it's not just midlifers who wrestle with such things. The, the whole spectrum from youth to old age offers plenty of opportunity for people to ask, am I important to anyone? Does anyone want me around? When I reach out to another person, will that person reach back? These are such heavy questions with such great f potential for pain that we can't bear them. We routinely dismiss questions such as these by saying, to ourselves even, that such questions are a waste of time or that only whiners or narcissists talk like that. Well, we'd have to group the Bible writers in with those narcissists, I guess. The psalmist asked, what's the point of the human race? That what is man that you are mindful of him? Of course the Bible would ask that question. It's the most honest record of human thought we have. If the Bible asks those questions, don't you think everybody is asking those questions? If you feel that question in you now, what's the point, what's the meaning, who am I? If you feel those questions in you now, this is for you. One necessary step in opening up your soul to the meaning of your life is to look at where you've come from. What is the meaning of your heritage? What does it mean that you have come from your particular family line? That question figures into one's worth or value as you reckon it about yourself. Solomon knew where he had come from. And this knowledge gave him a framework, a grounding in which to live his life. The knowledge of where he had come from opened him up to the meaning of his life, the, the meaning. Now, Solomon certainly knew all about the system of the monarchy. He had been prepared all of his life to go into the family business. But that's grooming, not meaning. It's not the same thing. No, Solomon knew something more significant. He knew not merely what he was supposed to do, but why he was doing it. That's meaning. Meaning is more than a goal, it's a reason. Look at verse two. I have built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. Here, Solomon states his goal, to build a temple for God, but then he states the meaning of that work a place for God to dwell forever. It was to be the geographic point at which God would draw near to human beings in the physical space where they live. The goal of his work is a temple, a national symbol of God's presence with Israel. The meaning of his work, though, is shared life between God and human beings. And the meaning of Solomon's work led Solomon to the meaning of his life. The meaning of Solomon's work, shared life between God and human beings, led Solomon to the meaning of his life. 
which was he was the object of God's desire. This desire of God to live with human beings is present in Genesis when God walks with the woman and the man in the garden in the cool of the day. Paul talks about this desire of God to live with human beings when he speaks of the human body as a temple for God. This desire of God to live with human beings is present in Revelation when the scripture speaks very tenderly about individuals' names that only God and those individuals know. I will give him a new, a, a white stone with a new name on it. Very tender. Again, Revelation speaks about a loud voice declaring, now God's home is with people. You are the object of God's desire, and that is the meaning of your life. You can't hear this enough, and that is the meaning of your life is not to become better, a better worker, a better friend, a better sister, a better brother, a better manager of your time, better at saying no to things that cause trouble, better at regulating your emotions. The meaning of your life is not to become better. The meaning of your life is that God wants to live with you. Live with me in my kingdom and everything else follows that. The Bible tells us. We get that all turned around. I know we do. I used to pray as a child, Lord, make me a better Christian boy. That prayer seems like a dear and tender prayer until I tell you that my mistaken concept of God was that he was watching me with a finite patience, a finite patience, to see if I had made any improvement from the day before. That's what fueled that prayer. The meaning of my life is not to become better. The meaning of my life is that I am the object of God's desire. All of life is about my and your addressing of what's standing in the way of our enjoyment of that reality that God wants to live with us. So let's begin addressing that right now. Look at verses 7 through 9. My father David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, You did well to have it in your heart to build a temple for my name. Nevertheless, you are not the one to build the temple, but your son, your own flesh and blood, he is the one who will build the temple for my name. The Bible helps us see that David himself, though he had conceived the temple idea, as he tells us many, many, many times. If you had a job in the palace in David's kingdom, you would have heard this story many times. You would have heard David saying, you know, I, I had this idea, heard it, they might have said whatever the Hebrew for heard it was. Um, David himself, though he had conceived of the temple idea, didn't fully understand the idea because he, he had it in his mind to build it. 
the understanding that David eventually got to took some time to unfold. Who knows how long the idea had been simmering in David's head. He eventually told the prophet Nathan about it, and Nathan told David that it would actually fall to his son to build the temple. But David didn't seem to understand that. He goes right out and prays to the Lord, but in that conversation, there's no clear conveying of that understanding from David's lips. He didn't seem to understand it quite like that. It was over time that he finally understood, and later on, he says that his warrior ways had shaped his thinking in a way that had not suited him for the spiritual task of building such a structure. The way the Bible says it, the way that David uh, says it and the Bible reports it is that David was a man of blood. And so he, his thinking, the way that he saw the world was unsuited for such a task. So David gradually came to understand that this project wasn't going to materialize in his lifetime, that the nation needed some space to shift from a wartime footing to a peacetime footing. This was to be an initiative for a peacetime leader. One can rightly imagine how tough it was for David to come to grips with this realization. But over the years of prayer and reflection and listening to prophetic voices and perspectives of, the, uh, perspectives of those nearest him, David accepted that this project was larger than his lifespan. Solomon at some point would have entered into those conversations and reflections with his father as he came of age and conversations like that with his family and his elders. And as Solomon grew older, his life would have been shaped by this elusive dream of his father's, the temple. Always the temple. Always just out of David's grasp. Solomon would have seen how much energy and time his father gave to this dream, perhaps even to the neglect of his family. David was infamously emotionally unavailable to his family anyway. And the temple might have been one more opportunity for David to divert his attention, as beautiful a dream as that was. So perhaps this dream contained some pain and some heartache for Solomon, but he would have come to see that notwithstanding the amount of pain the dream had brought to his father or the vast amounts of time and attention his father had diverted from his family and towards the temple plans, this dream was valid and worthy. It was something more beautiful than even his father or the nation had understood. Over time, Solomon came to realize this, exercising his wisdom. He got this. In David's mind, the temple was going to be a proper place for the ark. But Solomon realized the dream was even better than his father had known. The temple was a place where God would accept the invitation to live with human beings. The temple would say, in effect, God, come live with us. And God, seeing the temple, would say, yes. All that to say this. Solomon came from a family that put the funk in dysfunction. I don't even know what that means, but 
Solomon came to see that there was a good dream in that family, his family, despite all the disgusting, harmful, very painful behavior that went on in that family. Solomon's family had not always handled that dream well. That dream, in fact, lived side by side with some very dark and destructive family conduct. For instance, David handed the plans of the temple over to Solomon and also told Solomon, oh, and by the way, make sure to assassinate two of my enemies when I'm gone. Wowzers, the dream of the temple, Solomon came to know, was bigger than the family he had come from, more pure than the family he had come from. The story of Solomon's family line was the story of how they handled the dream of the temple that began in his father David's heart. Solomon had come to understand the meaning of that dream, which was that God desired to live with people. What about you? You've got your own difficult history with the family you came from. There are many ways we look at our families, from gratitude and joy to anger and pain, sometimes at the very same time. And that family you came from, that, that family is the origin of you. It shaped you and it taught you what it thought was important, just like Solomon's family shaped him. Some of what your family taught you turned out to be true, and some of it turned out to be false. And the families we come from had dreams and longings to make something of the world. With some families, these dreams go horribly wrong and there's much suffering as a result. At their core, the story of all families is the dream of being close to each other and close to God. That's what everybody is looking for. And in families, that's the dream. Now, some families handle that dream so badly that it's a wonder there are any survivors. But that's the dream nonetheless. We've been out of the garden so long that most people wouldn't even know that that's what they've been looking for all their lives. That is the dream, though. And the way families handle that dream is the plot of all the stories. No matter what family raised you, whether they handled a dream well or not, you can sometimes lose your way. Solomon did. It could have been the unaddressed pain from living with a father who was emotionally unavailable for his children. It could have been the isolation of a life filled with sycophants and yes-men that insulated him from his own weaknesses. But whatever it was, Solomon got lost to the heady rush he felt at exercising his social power over women the sense of accomplishment at taking his kingdom to greater political and economic heights than even his father David knew 
These things began to put him further and further from the dream that he inherited from his father. For a shining moment, Solomon had enlarged that dream. He was on the cusp of leading a whole people to a new era of intimacy with God in which people would learn that God desired to live with them, that they mattered to God that much. But the gravity of the monarchy pulled on him constantly. The allure of worldly power was so immediate that he began to depend on it more and more. And when Solomon stopped becoming a student of that dream, he stopped teaching that dream to the nation. The nation no longer had a leader who was helping them see that God desired to live with them. And so the nation turned away from that dream. The nation has also turned away from that dream. In fact, the nation broke up after Solomon's death. It was over for them as a world leader. Solomon stopped listening to the story of his family and he lost his way. And when Solomon lost his way, generations got lost. Have you been lost for a while? And I'm using that word in a broader spiritual sense than just the theological kind of lost that we talk about when a person has not professed faith in Christ. You might have been a devout Christian for a long time, and yet, though you believe with all your heart in Christ as your Savior, you have no idea where you have come from or where you're going on this earth in this life. You might bear the scars, emotional or physical, either one, of a very difficult upbringing, and you might think the pain is all that's there. You might think that's the whole story of your family of origin, and there's no point in looking any closer at where you've come from. You're lost. But there's a deeper story there, and if we ignore that story, whether it's a wonderful story or a brutal story, we will get lost. We lose the plot of our lives when we cut ourselves off from where we've come from. It happened to Solomon. It can happen to you. It might be happening with some of you right now. But if we will look at Solomon, we will discover that our families have a story. It's a story of a dream. They, they wanted a happy family and it didn't go too well. Or they dreamed of having a close kind of life with you and the way they went about it left you feeling like you never measured up to their standards. Or they left you with happy memories that you've had trouble recreating in your own family and you don't know why. The stories can take a thousand different turns, but they shape you. They are the origin of you. When you take a look at the story of where you've come from, what you'll discover is that God is there in that story. It might be a horror story, it might be a fairy tale, but God shows up in that story. And he's calling you to continue that story, to, to find the larger meaning of it and to keep telling it. We've seen the story this morning of Solomon and his father and how Solomon took that dream 
that had become so central to his father, and he made it his own dream by taking it apart and examining it with his wisdom, seeing how the components fit together and seeing then how awesome it really was. But Solomon didn't quite make it. He didn't quite make it. He started a better story than his father David, but it, it ended wrong. Well, there's another story of a son who knew his father's dream, and the story of that dream shaped the son's life here on this earth. Jesus knew that his father's dream was, of course, to live with the people he made, with you and me. And that story very nearly ended wrong. In a garden, the son was overwhelmed at the weight of the story. The cost for carrying that dream was so high. Jesus first asked if his father could tell the story of that dream without him. And then he said, and this is what Solomon failed to do, the son, Jesus, said to his father, okay, I'll carry the story of that dream if that is what you want. If I'm necessary for the story to go on, I'll carry that cross, I'll bear that weight, and I'll make that sacrifice. And he did. Because Jesus took his father's dream and told the story of that dream with his own life, eternal life is now possible for the human race. The meaning of Jesus' life here on earth was to make it possible for God to live together with us in a shared life that will not end. But Jesus had to reckon on his own with a dream that had originated in the mind of his father. The family you came from had a dream, and the story of how they handled that dream, however obscured, however corroded with pain or loss or defeat or hardship, has brought you to where you are today. This could be your moment of reckoning with the story of that dream. If you feel lost, remember that our Lord was troubled about which way to go when he was in the garden. If you feel overwhelmed, remember that our Lord felt like he was being crushed to death by the difficulty of what the dream required. If you feel like you're not really that important in the scheme of things, remember that our Lord discovered in the garden that without him, there would be no story. Revisit the story of your family. What did they dream of? How did they go about realizing that dream? And what, if anything, went wrong? Jesus suffered in the garden and on the cross. So he's no stranger to heaviness and pain. His resurrection means that he will stand with you as you explore your family's story to shed light on the meaning of your life. It will look different for everybody. You might discover that the abuse you experienced in your family means that you can help bring such things to light for those who have no voice. You might come to understand that your happy and close life 
with your family as a child, gives you an opportunity to teach others how to draw close to their families. You might realize that it's time to talk about the mental illness in the family you came from so that those who live in similar circumstances can learn that they are not alone. The temple would not have gotten built without Solomon learning and enlarging upon the story of his father's dream. And on a, on a cosmic scale, there would be nothing beyond death without Jesus' willingness to sacrifice his life for God, his father's dream. The temple wouldn't have happened without Solomon. Rescue from eternal death would not have happened without Jesus. Solomon's project foreshadowed God's living with us and Jesus made it possible. That's what hope looks like. One of the Bible's best revelations is that it matters that you're here. Talk about being pro-life. The meaning of your life is that you are the object of God's desire and he takes great delight in what you will do in this world. There is a story of your family that has shaped you and God is in that story. Learn that story, find God in it and tell it larger and better. That won't happen without you. Now I'm gonna invite you to consider two things, two things. First, you're the object of God's desire. If you've been laboring under the burden of trying to be better so that you'll be welcomed by God, you can stop. You already are welcomed by God and you have been welcomed by him from the moment you were born. Turn from whatever else you've been counting on and accept that welcome. Start counting on Christ. He'll save you from everything down to your own sins that are trying to destroy you. Second, would you consider looking at your family's story for what it can teach you about your place in this world? You're connected to generations that have come before you. God is in the story of those generations and that story is important to God because that story produced you. You have the ability to listen to that story and to realize how you can tell it better like Solomon began to. There's no better place to find God than in the story of your family. So two things, count on Christ, accept his welcome and count on him. And second, maybe it's time to start looking at the story of your own family and saying, Lord, help me find my place in this world, in that story and to know the meaning of my life, that you want to live with me. How can I move that forward in this world? First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.